0: Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Muchachos, 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 the podcast that is based purely around muchachos. I'm just kidding. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. You guys know that when you click on a podcast, it's the only thing that you can you you choose. We're not a radio station. This is Good Bottle Podcast, and I am so happy to be here. I am recording remotely this time uh, from uh, from Monterey. I am your host, Chris Claire, and I am joined by my co-host of the Good Bottle Podcast, Mr. Drew Garrison. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing really good, and the first thing I want to do is I want to thank... Um, the voice at the top of this episode, your beautiful wife, Jen, for allowing you to walk away from your family vacation in order to record this podcast. Because when you initially told me that you wanted to reschedule for tomorrow night, I was like, Are you really going to torture our guest again? Who we had to push back our last episode because you decided to gallivant down in Mexico. And you were like, God damn it, let me talk to Jen. And fortunately, the patron saint of patience um, has allowed you to do this, but I'm doing really good. So you're, you're recording remote. Um, I am, I'm flying solo with, with my daughter this week. Caitlin's finally, uh, traveling again for work. And so it's the first time doing the single dad thing in a, in a year and a half, which is fun. But also, uh, there, there's definitely a possibility that a little three-year-old can come in here and, and let us know what's going on. So if you guys hear that voice at any point, you know, that's Hensley saying what's up and, she is not going to listen to me. So I'm just going to put that out there (laughs) right now. Um, You know what really is, is I I feel bad about, about that because
1: uh, I have been bugging you for so long to get, get these women on this show. And I am very excited about this. So, so the fact that you were like, you're not fucking this up again. I was like, you are correct. I'm not fucking this up again. Uh, Especially, (laughs) especially
2: since I was like, no, we, we need to have them here. So, so with, with that said, our guest tonight is, or it's two guests, which is a first time for the Good Bottle podcast. So when I can't handle and control this conversation, you'll know why I'm overwhelmed by so many people, but um, they are, there. There are a couple of people that I've known for way too long. They have the unfortunate distinction of actually knowing high school version of Drew, which I just... I just want to apologize. I don't even know if I did anything directly, but I'm just going to go out there and say it. I'm going to get that out of the way. Um, But Chris, you actually came across their Facebook show naturally, which I think is so nuts because like I saw my friends doing this and then you were like, you got to check this out. I was like, I have checked it out. Those are, those are people from my past. It's super crazy. So with all that said tonight, we do have the host of Import taste and a reverent guide to drinking wine, which is a weekly show that you can listen to on Facebook and I think YouTube and eventually launching their own podcast. They've been asking us questions. They don't even, they have no idea how much we don't know. It is, my good friends, Caitlin, Britt, ladies, thank you so much for joining us tonight. <laughs> finally, finally we've made it happen. We've made it happen. You guys are, you guys are the best. Your show is so much fun. We want our listeners to go watch your show, which is on Thursday nights. Um, you're always drinking wine on that. What are you drinking tonight? Let's start with you, Caitlin. What are you, what are you drinking tonight?
3: Oh wow! Well, thank you so much for having us on the show. We've been following what you guys have been doing, and it's really, really fun. Especially because you're from, you're doing your podcast kind of from our kind of hometown. So thanks again for having us on tonight. I know you probably, you, most of you can't see it, but I am drinking a box of wine. Well, I'm not drinking the whole box because it's three liters and I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna drink that during the show. But um, I am drinking, you know what's crazy about this box is it's a box of wine from Burgundy, which is in France. So on on our show, we like to make things really simple. So we've got like the world and then you probably know where France is. And then Burgundy is a subset, it's a region inside of France, just to make it really simple. And Burgundy wines are often very, very expensive. They command a high price, but this box wine, three liters, is such a good value, and it is delicious. So I'm drinking it out of a little tiny glass that's not a wine glass and enjoying it so much. It is, yay, yeah, it's delicious. So if uh, it's called Harrison, and it's a red Burgundy. It's a mix between Pinot Noir and Gamay, and it is fucking awesome. So I think it's like 40 bucks for the whole box, and it's three liters. So it's a great deal. So I would just like, give you a little
2: Ooh, that, that B roll sound. I love it. That's a great, yum, yum, sound. Yum. that's a great sound. <laughs> There's also like a hedgehog Tears. on it or something, which is, yeah, really... that's what
3: it means in French. Harrison, I think means hedgehog. So, Whatever that means, hedgehog wine. That's what I'm drinking. I don't
2: have enough information <laughs> to dispute that. So I'm going to believe you. Um
3: Yeah, I don't think you took French class with Britt and I, so <laughs>
2: I mean the funny thing about that is I definitely did. And Oh you did, <laughs> did you realize- I don't know. I don't I don't oh, ouch, burn No no, 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 no. <laughs> I took it I took it later. So I didn't I didn't take it with you. I meant I mean I also took Oh French. my gosh. Yeah,
3: I was like, "How did I forget that?" I'm usually no. not that bad about misremembering people in high school, but no,
2: no, no. I did she was it. Drew's like, I, did I it. sat right behind you. Yeah. I did it much like, later. My name
3: was Gerard. You don't remember?
2: It was. It was. What was my name? John something. Um, Mine was
0: Therafina. Oh
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it till I was like a junior when I had to like get a language in, and then. So by that time, I was like in there with a bunch of freshmen. So that was an interesting experience. Brittany, what are you drinking? Because I, is it, I mean, are you, is it also out of a box or what are we doing it's here? It's not
0: out of a box. It's out of a <laughs> bottle. I'm actually drinking Brock Cellars um, Love Red, which is their 2019 um, kind of red wine blend. I actually worked for Brock Sellers last season. So kind of, that's kind of why I wanted to bring it on. So I worked production for them, um, doing Harvest. I was their punchdowns and pumpovers queen. Um, and as I went in at six in the morning and left at nine in the morning and everyone called me the cellar ghost because nobody saw me the whole shit. Like <laughs> as soon as I would leave, the rest of the Harvest crew would come on. But it was great. It was like a fucking awesome workout first thing in the morning. And then I was pumped for the rest of my day. So awesome. um, it's made by Chris Brockaway out in Berkeley really great like natural winemaker um who's um making wine from purchased grapes throughout all of california um they might be looking at getting their own vineyard which is gonna be cool so who knows i'm waiting to find out what happens with that so i really love them support them and as far as like winemakers that i have worked for he's just one who's been so like willing to teach you and just like you don't feel weird approaching him and asking him questions, which is really why I wanted to feature him. And also to kind of like tell you guys about what I'm doing in my spare time. And when I'm not on this (laughs) podcast.
2: (laughs) Well, like, like I was, when we were talking before we started the the recording, you know, this, this really, we really wanted to treat this as a, as a platform for people to talk about the different projects that they're working on and, and things like that. And, you know, so far over the past year and a half that we've been doing this like all of our guests like firmly have a foot in the industry and have had it for multiple years the reason that we're so excited to have you two on is because this is a relatively new adventure for you in terms of the um in terms of the weekly show like like kaylin i know that we've reconnected like you know, a couple times over the last couple of years mm-hmm. and just kind of found out, I was like, Oh, we're dope as adults. Like, you know, these are, these are cool people to hang out with. And so following your journey and stuff like that, especially through wine. And then, um and then you started the, you started the show with, with Brit. And it was just kind of like, I was like, Oh, what a fun, what a fun thing to do with your friend. And I just, um it was, it started during the pandemic, correct, correct. Or like maybe right before Um what, what was like the thing that you guys looked at each other like, we need to do a weekly show on wine like how did that manifest?
0: Well, I can take this one. I actually um, have worked in restaurants for a long time. And I was the assistant wine director at NOPA in San Francisco. And I lost my job when COVID hit. And I was like, I am someone who cannot sit still. I'm like moving my hands right now. If all of those who can't see it. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Like and so I actually went and spent like a good portion of time at Caitlin's house. Like right when I was like, Hey, don't have a job. Let's how about i just go to Caitlin's and we'll do puzzles and do yoga in her living room. And then we're like, Hey, we both love wine and we're, we don't live near each other. Like, why don't we start this like virtual show and all about wine? Because we both, we both were in the industry, like, but we've never, we've never like worked together in the industry really mm-hmm. ever. Um, because I'm in San Francisco and Caitlin's in San Diego. And so it was a really good way for us to connect as friends and then to also kind of like bring wine to the people like it is called in poor taste and a reverent guide to drinking wine, because we think often wine can have this like um, its nose up a little bit at, you know, or the industry can. And so a lot of people who are just learning about it, specifically consumers, can have be scared to like get in there. They're just like, you know what? It's safe to get grocery store wine. And so we're like, okay, let's take you out of your comfort zone and make it in a transition that you are excited to learn about. I like my goal. I always tell Caitlin, my goal is to move grocery store wine drinkers to wine shop, wine drinkers. And so, yeah, Caitlin, you you'd tell anything else that I missed. <laughs>
3: Well, I was going to say that this week is actually our one year anniversary. So this one year ago today, we started our show, which is really exciting. And like Britt said, it happened in the pandemic. It just was a way for us to connect as friends. And we figured if people want to tune in and watch us talk about wine together, then great. And Surprisingly, people did and we created or kind of cultivated maybe is a better word this little community of people and a lot of them tune in every week and We we got Christmas cards from some of our viewers saying like, oh my gosh, you made our pandemic experience so much better. Like every Thursday, we social distance across the room from our daughter and we watch the show. And it's just like a very fun way of connecting. So it's been a really, really awesome journey to do that too with your best friend. It's pretty awesome. so.
2: So, That's yeah, way cool. I'm excited about it. I didn't, I didn't, Brady. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that that you were working um in it before. So, so there's there's the lack of research uh, that I did. It just kind of like
0: oh, don't worry. I didn't put it in the email. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, you were like uh, off Brittany, my radar. Did, then you came. And you came right back into it. So it was there. He goes, Chris. Do you have a question? Did, did you ever work with
1: yeah? Did you ever work with Naya White at
2: NOPA?
0: No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I um so. My background, just now we can talk about it really quick. I had been working at Liho Yacht Club and was like, I had been working in like restaurants forever. And Lehaliho is kind of where I really got into wine. And I like approached them. I'm like, hey, like, I want to move up in this. And they're like, well, we don't really have space. And I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to go work wine harvest. And that season I worked for Fela in Napa. And then I came back and I was like, okay, now let's talk. And that's when I, they were like, okay, we will make you the assistant wine manager at NOPA. So I worked there and it was really, it was only like probably six months before that, but I did work with, um, I know Chris Deegan, who was kind of one of the OG like wine directors there who really like set up that program and was just like wonderful human. And then, um, Lulu as well, McAllister, who was like a, like rock star wine director, I worked at one of their other restaurants at the time when she was doing all of the, um, part, all of the like, um, restaurant group. So yeah, really great, great restaurant or great, like wine directors have been in there.
2: <laughs> yeah. Is, is now with the, with the stuff opening back up, and I know San Francisco has been a little bit slower than, than some of the other areas. Um, are you going to be going, are you going back or are you just going to be like, Nope, uh there's other there's other places to go now
0: I am not sure I'll be honest I it's so funny I call Caitlin like every week to be like hey I'm thinking about applying for this job what do you think um I actually (laughs) so when COVID hit and I lost my job because I can't sit still I started the podcast I also started a company which was very successful and then I walked away from because I was like okay you guys like I have two other partners in it and I kind of let them take it over and then I was also working at Brock Sellers just in the mornings, like from 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. And then I um, picked up a shift at or a few shifts a week at Decant San Francisco, which is a bottle shop in San Francisco. And so I was working there for basically since Thanksgiving till this moment. I put in my notice just the other day, and I'm trying to figure out what's next, Breaking and news. I'm really not sure. <laughs>
2: That's okay. That's okay. I think there's I I think if there's a time to 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 reassess the your situation, especially in this industry, it's it's now that. Um Well
0: part of me felt like the time was during COVID and then to have the decision now. And I was like, okay, I just stayed a busybody during COVID and now when everybody's deciding, I'm like, I don't know what to do.
2: That's <laughs> okay so, Caitlin, what about you? Is there is there more of this, this history that exists or because um, I know your email signature says uh, adjunct professor, which I did know that, but in terms of like other industry experience, what does that look like?
3: Yeah. So I, I similar to Britt, I've worked in restaurants for a long time and it's been a little while since I started studying wine. I went and started the WSET and did the advanced level for that. And then also did, I think we're going to talk about maybe something about the like sommelier track, but Mm -hmm. I also went that route and did the um, certified sommelier. And then I had been working at a small tapas restaurant in San Diego where I had a lot of flexibility as a wine buyer and doing wine events. But it was, I just felt like I was ready for a change. This was a few years back. And so I kind of got a little bit out of the wine world. I had been pursuing another degree. So I was back in school and just kind of took a step away just dabbled a little like in some supper clubs and some smaller projects before this. Um, and then, yeah, I do, I teach communication on the side or like, you know, part-time, but a really cool project recently is I'm working with the same school I teach communication with. We're launching a fermentation program. So I'm, I'm part of the people behind getting the fermentation program off the ground. And we're actually building out an entire wine lab and a beer lab too, but like I have more to do with the wine side where we're, we're gonna have students be able to make wine as part of their curriculum, which I'm so excited about. So that's something that has kind of become my pet project where I'm, I'm still doing a little bit of sommelier work for side stuff and for little supper clubs, but mostly wine wise, I'm just working on launching this fermentation program and the education side of things. Because in the, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's what I'm most passionate about is just teaching people about wine more so than pouring wine at restaurants, even though I love that too. But it's just, you know, I love teaching people about wine. So so yeah, between that, I feel like I'm also like Brit, we're both kind of busy bodies and we have so many projects that we're always balancing. But, um, but as far as the wine world goes, I'm just doing a little sommelier work for a supper club, launching this fermentation program. And then Import Taste has really become my Personal and creative priority as far as getting that podcast and our eventual, eventual plans that we have for it. So we've got big plans, I think. So well, I think
2: I think you guys do a really really great job of it to kind of bring it back to import taste. And um, I think you have done a good job of destigmatizing a lot of different wines, and then also changing my perspective on a lot of different wines. Like, um, I was it was it last week that you guys did the New York episode. And it was just like, what? There's wine that's coming from New York, and then it's like you guys have this really like you you're you're really fun about it, and then you also have like graphics that pop up the whole time. Like I remember the first (laughs) time I saw that, I was like, look at these bitches! Like Jesus Christ! Like they're just (laughs) they're just crushing it right now! Like these cool things, and it was just like you know all this all this stuff. I was like, they're they're real professionals. Like (laughs) step my game up on our Good Bottle podcast, you know, even though we don't have the same visuals, but but you guys are you guys are doing really cool stuff, and so I, I definitely. I I know that our listeners are going to walk away from this at the end and be like, I need to go watch that show, but I just want to make sure that we say it. Everybody, follow them on Facebook. Go watch their show. Um, Now, I I know that I'm going to be bad at this the whole time, but uh, allegedly there's another person here. Chris, what are you drinking?
1: (laughs) Well, before we get to that, I just want to thank the ladies for uh, helping educate you because... Uh, drew drew's wine education was so barbaric in the beginning uh and, and when i say the beginning i mean like the beginning of like when we started this podcast we have on audio uh, uh very specific quotes of drew saying i don't decant wine i decant it in my belly and uh and we've moved I still I we still do we that we we moved so far beyond that like he even drinks champagne now like and, and he was not he was not on the champagne bus. So I I just want to you know take my hat off to you and say thank you for helping me move this Cretan along in his education.
3: That's so good. I do also want to hear what you're drinking, but I want before I forget I want to give a shout out. So you mentioned all those like really cool visuals. We have a third person who kind of does all the behind the scenes stuff. So she doesn't get as much credit. But um, my sister, Lauren, who also went to high school with us, but I don't know if you would have known her, Drew. She was a year behind us. But she does all of our behind-the-scenes audio-visual stuff, and I think we could not do what we do without her. So even though she's not here to represent herself, just want to give her a special shout-out to, uh, you know, if you like those visuals, that's because of Lauren. So. Lauren,
2: great job. I do. <laughs> Your are crushing it. Okay, Chris, what what are you, what are you drinking? And yes, I have come a long way. Thank you.
1: you're welcome uh i am drinking a sicilian wine um mostly because italian wine scares the shit out of me uh, and so i like every once in a while i i dip my my big toe into the water and like how warm it is but it still scares me because i can't see the bottom of it uh this is uh this is a uh nero and Pericone blend Uh, it is lovely uh um it is easy drinking it's got a nice legs to it great finish uh, but not like overbearing in any way it is uh, and I'm drinking it out of a, a hotel room Gibraltar glass and it's kind of how I really <laughs> like drinking wine I mean I grew up drinking wine at my grandmother's house out of like mason jars so uh, this this works for me
0: I feel like probably in Sicily that's what they're drinking the wine out of too like let's be real honest <laughs> yeah it's great
1: yeah. it's fantastic
0: no fancy glassware for them no,
1: I don't need a fucking stem right now
0: yeah.
2: This is great.
0: Who does? I classed oh. it up for tonight, just saying, but whatever.
2: I did the same thing. I'm classy tonight, so. Thank you. I get it. I get it. True, sure. true.
1: What's going down your gullet, my friend?
2: Well, it's it's funny that, that you picked a Sicilian wine because so did I. What? And actually by by me, I mean um uh, Hensley picked out my my wine tonight. And um the reason that she did is because like I just I just knew I was gonna have a much harder time just with her in general, getting her to do things so that I wasn't gonna have the backup from my wife. And so I was listening to a podcast today where Aisha Curry was talking about little tricks with her kids uh, and like she makes them part of the process so they'll actually eat dinner because like they like made it and stuff, and so I just was like, I was like, okay, we're gonna do daddy's cooking process. You know, like first, we're gonna put on a TV show. What do you wanna watch? And so, if, you know, of course, you pick some like genie show. And then I was like, and then we gotta pick our drinking wine. So which one are we doing? And she like pulled that one out. I was like, all right, we're doing the Sicilian wine. Um, and it's great. It's, uh, that's, so I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna butcher this, but 100% Norello and, uh, Norello grape and it is the Enterosa from 2017 and it's just super delicious. And allegedly the um, Altamora vineyards are on the slopes of an active volcano. So that's pretty rad uh, and I really really dig it. I've had one of their other expressions. And I also just really like their packaging so you can't see it now, but like they're just it's like not a whole lot of not a whole lot of colors and things like that. It's just very subtle and indirect but yeah, yeah. did the the Sicilian wine as well. And it's been super, super delicious. And not only I think have I grown a lot in terms of like the wine stuff over the past year, but now I find so many of them just undrinkable at this point, especially when I go to my mom's house and I have to drink the wine that she picks out. And I'm just kind of like, why is this a thing? Why did you do this to me? Fortunately, up here in in our area, we do have some really dope wine shops. Like you know, obviously Good Bottle is one of them. But where I actually picked this one up was the Newcastle Wine Shop, which um, yeah, there's a wine shop in Newcastle now. So for so you know for all of us, like it's just like this little tiny town that there's actually some vineyards out behind it. But I never knew there's this really cool shop, and so I picked it up there, and it was super super delish.
1: the The problem with education is that you can't like unknow what you know, and I, I call it the like the uh, thousand thread count effect, right? It's like it's like once you slip into like thousand thread count Egyptian cotton sheets, like flannel gets burned. Like you're never <laughs> going back. Like you just you can't. You know what I
2: mean? Like it's just you're it's burdened. Done. You're burdened with information because you God, know better. Yeah. Like you can't sit there. Like I can't drink Casadora's tequila. I know what happens with that tequila. You know, I've seen it. You know, uh, it's it can be it can be very brutal kayla did you have something i see you were popping your hand up
3: oh well i was gonna first i was gonna ask what your daughter thought of the wine since you you know she was part of the process <laughs>
2: but, she uh, <laughs> she she thought it was she thought it was fine but she thought it she thought it paled in comparison to her uh chocolate milk so uh
3: okay
2: she just was like probably a good
3: decision this, for her
2: yeah she just it's, it's like this one too short of a finish compared to my chocolate milk you know
0: Uh, it doesn't have the same mouth feel let's
3: be real honest yeah 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 exactly (laughs) but then I was gonna say I totally get you like on the the thread count analogy you just it's so true people are like oh look I brought all these wines and they're all like grocery store wines to pair with like tacos and I'm like can I please have a Modelo (laughs) like I'll take a Modelo keep your wine I'll take a beer you know there's just some stuff where you're like no thanks I can't go back it's better to just pivot." completely and drink something else. So (laughs) I have
0: definitely been called a snob from my family. And the funny thing is we have a show that is trying to like, you know, take the snobbery out of it. And I'm just like, I'm just not going to drink garbage though. So I don't know what to do guys.
2: Well, so it's, and I think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but, um, for, for a very long time, uh, my dad would do the same thing to me where he'd be like, Oh, well, this probably isn't too, this isn't fancy enough for you. And I just was like, all right, like, I've, like, I mean, I don't think I know a whole lot more so with spirits, definitely for sure there, but like with the wine, I was, it's, it's been a process because wine was always an escape for, for me from like the, from the job side of it. And then over the past holidays, I, I dumped a bottle of, of one of the stuff that, one of the things that I sell, cause it was legitimate garbage. Like it was so bad. And so my dad was like, Hey, Hey, the next time you do that, make sure I get to taste it first because I don't, you know, you're, you're all snobbish about it. I'm like, fair enough. So then a couple months later, I give him a wine that I'm about to dump. And he's like, oh, yeah, you should definitely dump that. And then just yesterday, we she got my my mom got a, her wine shipment from um, a region in Southern California that I don't think should be making wine. We can talk about it later. Um, but uh, I, I tried it, and I just was like, this is awful. And I put it down. And my dad showed up a little bit later. He's all, did you try that wine? I was like, yeah, it's terrible. He goes, yeah. I popped up another bottle and I dumped it immediately out and I was like, who's the snob now? Like, look at you just dumping out bottles of wine. So, um, I, I agree. Brady It's like, life's too short to drink garbage wine and just garbage spirits in general. Like just no thinking. or you.
3: anything. Yes, yeah. Anything. Like any, you know, yeah. Food or drinks that are not quality. Come on. Like don't, I'm not a, I'm not a calorie counter, but like, Come on, none of us has excess calories we can use. We might as well not use them on shitty things. Like, <laughs> save them for the good shit. <laughs> so, I don't know. Also, I'd like to know what region you're talking about in Southern California. It, it's
2: it starts with a T. <laughs> so and, it start, and, it. And, start with and a T and
0: ends end with an Ecula.
2: I was about to say that. We're so on the same page. We're so on I the same it. page. Yeah, yeah. That's just a
3: Whoa.
2: like my mom keeps trying to tell me that the wine is good. And I'm like, no, it's not <laughs> like, it's not, it's just, at least the ones that she's bringing me and the ones that I've experienced yeah. when I live down there, it's not, it's just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You guys, you're not, you're not there yet. I guess keep trying, but you're not there yet. I mean, I remember the last time when the chips went down there, like they were doing a tequila tasting at the winery. I was like, that tells you all I need to know about the winery. Like they're just kind of like, <laughs> so here's the winery drink tequila instead. Like, it's just, I just think that's what sums up that whole place. But, um,
3: Well, I will say, I think I, I don't disagree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. This is a thing I'm passionate about, but I will also say that I think it's because they're growing the wrong grapes and they need to be growing different things. And they're growing for an audience. That's like a, a very specific type of person. And that's just not me. <laughs> so I They
0: want to me to be like- growing like Rioja. Like, based on their weather, that is really, like, the grapes they should be growing there, in my opinion.
3: (laughs) Yes. And much less manipulation, like, in the winery. Because there's a ton of manipulation in the winery that makes it just, like, you're drinking a corporate wine when you drink those wines. So Gross. Not that we're snobby
2: or anything. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get back into our snobberiness in in a bit. I was gonna we- say,
0: just on this show, we can be snobby. This isn't like yeah. the show where you we aren't supposed
2: to be snobby. Yeah, you're like people will go watch the YouTube show and be like, like, oh, they they're so much more willing to experiment, you know, just or uh, they're much more go with the flow. <laughs> yeah. But I but I do think now it's time for, uh, for us to share our opinions on facts that we've heard from uh, reputable sources. <laughs> Okay, so in our first story tonight, we have the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board has refused to register Dank Tank as a trademark for the Atlanta-based brewery Sweetwater. Uh, They thought it was too general and as it can be used to describe a lot of things typically associated with weed, and so they shut down that trademark. Um, Although, Sweetwater is still going to be using Dank, in, their, in some of their packaging and everything like that. So it'll be really interesting to see if anyone files any objections to them using the word dank. But Chris, you sent me this story with like three other ones. It's the only one that I picked. But why did you want to talk about this dank Why tank why, you gotta,
1: why are you going to talk shit about my other stories that, uh, that you clearly didn't choose? Uh, that's, the I, other stories, because
2: the other ones were awful. And I spared our guest... <laughs> Awful topics. I think you're awful. That's fine. But anyways, go on. Dank dank tank. Let's talk about dank tank. Should it? Should they have gotten the trademark for dank tank?
1: No, I don't think so. I think it's just fine. But I thought it was hilarious because we do see dank, and especially in Sacramento. I don't know how it is uh, across uh, the globe of beer drinkers, but dank is very specifically a term used in beer, Uh, and I thought it was a offensive. That someone would try to um, uh, put put a trademark on a term that was just a tasting note that gets you thrown around like crazy, which means that not only would they just not just for dank and dank tank, they would have to like they would have to regularly argue and uh, and sue people for using the term dank, which is bullshit. You shouldn't you shouldn't do that. Also. I thought it was really hilarious that it's like it's a term that get, typically gets used for weed. Uh, and I like that the judge threw it out of court almost specifically because of that. And it was like, well, like it gets used a lot in beer, but also it mostly refers to weed.
2: So this has no grounds to stand on. Okay, Caitlin, what do you think? She beats Brittany, sorry.
3: Well... I think it's funny that we were talking about it being originally the term originally used for weed because before it was used for weed, it was actually a term that was used to describe something. It's in the dictionary, it is a Scrabble word. It was not a, it's slang for a weed word, but originally it actually has a meaning of like a moist, dark place. Like it's one thing to use it as a slang term, but I'm like, you can't just steal a Scrabble word and turn it into your trademark. So that was my two cents on it. Was like this: the weed, the weed industry did not invent that term as slang, and the beer industry cannot co—I co- don't know—co-opt the term for themselves. It existed before that. So I, I apologize.
1: I apologize profusely to my family. In my family, Scrabble is a is a blood sport, uh, <laughs> and so that is you're absolutely right. And I apologize to <laughs> everyone. Uh, my family, uh, this like this one episode be the one that like i get no end of shit for so you're right i i'm sorry
3: well i'm agreeing with you though they should not get the trademark it. it already existed so that's my two cents <laughs> Well, i read the
0: article as well and i was like okay is that supposed to be like one of their beers that they're making and they wanted to like trademark this one kind of beer or was it because they obviously are this other like thing and i'm like i don't know i don't see like other trademarks like was that supposed to be the name of their company but they already have a name like
2: i think it, i think maybe what, you can yeah what was going to happen was they were actually going to have a specific tank that it was going to put out a certain line of beers and so those beers would have come out of the dank tank like this is a dank tank beer da 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 this da da that and so they wanted to they wanted to trademark that specific phrasing was this 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 came from the dank Tank. You know, like, oh, this is one of those Dank Tanks, huh? I have version two and three. Thank you so much for Dank Tank four. So I think that's <laughs> like, what. They but were do they need
0: of. to? Tra- do they need to trademark it? I feel like every line of wine that has like a whatever their name is, like, okay, love red. I highly doubt that's fucking trademarked. Like, or wine
3: barrel one, yeah, yeah, wine or
0: anything like, <laughs> does that really need a trademark? Like, okay, you your your brand is trademarked. Let's leave it at that.
2: I mean, I think to to me, it sounds, it sounds like a, you know, kind of a money grab and something that, like you said, there's, this is a phrase that exists within, within the lexicon of, of, of brewing um, of, of weed and of Scrabble. So like, (laughs) these are the three pillars of human language. And um, I, I, I thought it was interesting because, and this is something that we've talked about on the podcast before. I feel like Beer companies in particular are pretty fast and loose with trademarks. So they're constantly using other people's stuff to promote like one run beers and things like that. And then basically what ends up happening is, you know, they take a very, very popular trademark, throw it on a can, do one run of it, get a cease and desist and like, well, we're already done. We're out of the beer. We sold it all. Right. Right. So to have a beer company go and try to trademark something, I just was like, I was like, what the fucking kind of irony is this? Where it's just, you know, this is a this is a constant thing that has always bothered me about breweries, is you know, anytime you try to capitalize on someone else's success to sell your product, like that just bothers me to no end. Now, with that said. I did just buy three bottles of wine from a winery who put Steve's Zissou on their bottle. And so I just was like, I was like, Oh, well, you just picked my favorite movie ever and put them like one of my, you know, favorite character and you put them on a bottle. Yeah. I'll have three. So it works. So I get it, but it, it does bug the hell out of me. Uh, Britt, what, what, what do you want to add to that?
0: Well, being someone who has had a Dwayne's world beer, um, I actually kind of love the fuck you to capitalism attitude that I feel like the beer industry has. They're like, you know what? We're going to fucking use that. We're going to capitalize on it. Oh, and when you send us a cease and desist, we don't give a fuck because now we're out of that beer. And I like that, which is why this company trademarking that shit. I'm like, fuck you. You're doing the opposite of what makes these other brands cool for capitalizing on someone else's like techno or like creative process. Just saying. Yeah.
1: Chris, what about you? Well, I, I find the whole concept of like trademarking drinks just ridiculous, and, it, and especially coming from like a cocktail perspective, right? Like they're, they're in, in the history of cocktails, there's, I think there's three cocktails that have been trademarked the whole time. You know, one of them is a painkiller. I know one of them is like a Bacardi cocktail, and I can't think of the third one. Um, I'm sure it has to do with a brand name of something, but it's all like ridiculous point in case when the bar painkiller opened up in new york city they were sued properly by by pussers rum and uh they had to change their name to like pk right which of course then they like they slowly like failed and dwindled out of existence which is terrible whatever sorry long (laughs) live pk um but like pussers right like like for at least a short period of time they're like not that a whole lot of Americans were drinking pussers anyway. But at that point in time, everyone was like, no, fuck pussers. Like, why would you, like, really? Painkiller? It's the name of a drink. But they had the trademark on it on that. And it was like the one time in the history of, like, cocktails. They were like, oh, shit, we can actually do something with this.
2: <laughs> and they did. And they turned out to be assholes because of it. Um, A quick note before we go to Caitlin. There's a bar opening up by a group that I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, near me that's gonna be called painkillers and maybe i need to drop a line to Pusters. i don't know maybe i need to maybe i need to send that email um caitlin what did you have to add uh, on this
3: well what i want to know is if you play the word dank in scrabble do you have to pay <laughs>
0: <laughs> only if you play the word dank tank do you have to pay
3: <laughs> okay okay good well because...
1: <laughs> they didn't win so they don't get shit so that's fine
3: oh yeah true <laughs>
2: They are they are going after the Dank word now though, so I was a little confused by that part of the article of like, oh yeah, we're going to we're going to let this go up to to see if anybody objects, and I kind of wanted to object just on principle and be like, yeah, no, they can't have it. You know, I will never have a beer, but they can't have it because I just don't think it's right for for these trademarks. Um, so well, so so there you go. Uh, don't go and try to trademark. Dang Tank, because you definitely won't have the support of the Good Bottle podcast or in Poor Taste. It is just not happening here. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and so in our...
3: do you guys make that music?
2: No, that was uh, someone who's professional that we won't mention their name, because they'll probably make us stop using it.
0: Because it's trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
2: something that but i'll i'll send you i'll send you the full song it's a copyright yeah i'll send i'll send you the full song and you guys are gonna die because it's a ridiculous song and just and it was a song that when my when my daughter was like sub one years old she like really enjoyed and that means very little to you right now but when you hear the song you're gonna be like oh my god you let your child listen to this i'm like yes yes i did um okay
3: well we already know she drank some wine tonight so uh, yeah <laughs> she likes to party
2: um <laughs> so, so our next our next article all has to do about the industry opening back up and there actually being a significant call for sommeliers. I thought this was relevant for a couple of reasons. One being we did an article or we did a, a conversation piece probably about six months ago where we were talking about is there a world in the future where sommeliers even matter? Uh, are they going to be a thing? And there was a lot of concern throughout the entire industry and. Um, there was also right around the same time, the master of Psalms was facing a lot of criticism for a lot of good reasons. Um, and so that was kind of falling apart and it was just a really bad time for, um, for just the wine professionals. Um, however, since places have started to open up, what this article pointed out was that there's, uh, more and more Psalms are actually being hired back where they become a very hot commodity, especially in places like Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, that people are looking for sommeliers. And one of the quotes that stood out to me was, people are coming to feel normal. They don't want a modified experience. They want the real deal sommelier and all. And obviously a sommelier really lends itself to that experience. Both of you have have worked in that uh, situation as well. However, as time went on through or as the article went through, you got to the real kicker, which was the hybrid role of the sommelier. And it was, I think as they put it, the Samager. And, um, and I had this happen. I like
0: to happen. call it
2: Samadjur. <laughs> there you go. That's way better. Somager. And this happened to a friend of mine in Sacramento. And it just wasn't at all what they signed up for. So now both of you have explained your story and like what you went and did when, when this pandemic happened. And we all, we already know that that's not necessarily a role that you want to return to. But Brit, starting with you, I mean, are you surprised that Somalis have made such a, like a feverish comeback or do you kind of call bullshit because well, you're actually in it?
0: <laughs> I, um, being like someone who does have some definite experience, I see this like power grab kind of for like the big, like, um, restaurants that have big wine programs being like oh my god we need to get that especially because so many um wine professionals and not just wine professionals but so many in the industry left um so many people like for the first time ever california has um decreased in population which is rare um and you know we're seeing like that this industry that we love couldn't is it sustainable for us like through, through something like this? And so then you see so many people like going outside and trying to figure out what is the next step for them if they can't rely on this thing that they've kind of built their lives around. So I, I've seen a lot of people in that role kind of step away from it. Um, And then like they said in that article, um, allowing a lot more space for other people who have been educating themselves have been gaining this experience to move up ranks. But being like in a restaurant, and this was this is a like well known restaurant like with good, you know. I I like, they're they're making revenue or they were. Um, it was still the psalmager, you know, where you're just like, okay, you're a som, and also these are your other ten fucking roles that you like. Oh, and all the other managers don't have to do that som role that you do. Like even you need to know this, you need to educate yourself on this. You need to be the staff trainer for this. Oh, and you need to do that. I was already working in that hybrid role before. And I feel like, especially with people tightening their budgets and things like, I think that that, that hybrid is there and is just going to continue to be there even more in restaurants that maybe had like just sommeliers. Now that's going to be like, the the norm um and with a dwindling workforce of that that'll be kind of what they have to do but i think that the dwindling workforce and even they talked about in the article um kind of makes it where the som has to be dynamic you can't just be this wine nerd who wants to like wants this job you also have to be great at hospitality you have to do all these things and like if you want to move up in that role and But I think that I agree that not just any server can sell like this $400 bottle of wine. Like that's not going to be sold by just any server. Like Mm. someone who knows what they're talking about, who can read tables, can talk to that and start creating a bigger bottom line for restaurants so that they can regain their, let's just say, market share in the restaurant.
2: Yeah, Chris, what would you like to, to chime in with? Um, I I
1: think for the
2: uninitiated,
1: we should we should define what a sommelier actually is. Um, uh, for sure, we yeah. know that we know we know that there's a um, you know Master Court of Sommeliers, which has an accreditation uh, program, which has a lot to do with testing, both in terms of knowledge and then also in terms of service. Um, but uh, one does not need to pass one of those exams to actually become a sommelier. Sommelier very basically just means a wine steward. It is someone who is knowledgeable in the production and service of wine. Uh, And a lot of people historically earned the title of sommelier simply just by earning the role within the group, within the bar, within whatever organization
2: organization they worked in. Kaylin, what were your thoughts as you read through this article today?
3: So yeah, I had a couple different thoughts. One, I think I mentioned earlier that I haven't really had too much of a draw back into the Smollier world. I it's not I don't it's not where I see myself landing, but reading this article, I thought, man, if there was ever a time that I did want to get back into it, right now seems like the time, especially because I think they made a good point in this article that a lot of people who are Members of a diverse, more diverse demographic are going to be given opportunities in this world, in the sommelier world. I mean, that they wouldn't have been given otherwise because there is a little bit of a shortage. So, I mean, in in one case, I think, oh, that's a great opportunity. In the other case, I think, man, it sucks that the only opportunity is that they have to take on seven jobs to get like what they would have been paid for a normal job. So, it's a, it's kind of a pros and cons list. Um, I will say, I was recently grading a bunch of student speeches, and one of my students gave a speech on why teachers should also be certified to be counselors because counselors were so overwhelmed that teachers might be able to take on that job. And I was like, oh no, 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 I'm sorry. I don't know how much you think we make as teachers, but it is not enough to take on that additional job as a counselor, a school counselor. So I feel similarly about this where it's like, (laughs) I I think yes, to be a well-rounded sommelier, you do need to have other skills that you can jump in where you need to but i feel like it's kind of a it's a bummer that restaurants feel like the only way they can justify having a sommelier is to have them take on a bunch of other jobs for less pay to all to be able to call them a sommelier so those are some of my initial thoughts on that so chris what do you think
1: yeah i you know i I as someone who has managed restaurants and, man- and and now own like a bottle shop, I I I understand the um the nervousness from a from a, like an ownership and management perspective of wanting to uh, of feeling a need to fulfill a space but then feeling the need also to be creative about how you do it. I think there's also a lot of lack of imagination from people. What I what I wish existed uh within the master Court of Sommeliers, or let's say WSET, or any other exam, was that there was actually uh, some some academic methodology for running a profitable program. Everything everything that runs uh, in terms of wine knowledge, spirit knowledge, service, all has to do with just that production service done. Not nothing about like cost of goods. Nothing about running your labor. Nothing, none of that, Uh, which I find ironic about people who want to like hire sommeliers to be managers, because that's not within their skill set necessarily. At least within within like academically speaking, right? Um, I think that there's a way in a dream world to be creative, at least in this time where there's there's small companies you know we're not we're not talking about you know large multi-million dollar you know restaurants that have like a Michelin star or at least a nod or something like that right but we're talking about like a small mom and pop shop where you can you can justify at least KPIs or um, key performance indicators from your staff that then thereby justifies an increase in their salary or an increase in their pay by whatever metric that you want i think it just requires thinking outside of the box which i think again a lot of a lot of sums might be good at because as this article pointed out intrinsically nerdy
2: as uh i think both of you would appreciate (laughs) uh brittany what do you got
0: i would agree with you there's a term in like whatever business called fungibility um and how you're always looking for something that can can morph a little bit and it's Obviously, it's a cost-saving thing where it's like, how many roles can this person fit in? Because that's going to save my, my bottom line. And yeah, it does suck as the person who it's like, okay, we have ten jobs for you to do. But um, I at so I got like a couple scholarships to the San Francisco Wine School, and I took their business their business of wine um thing. And this was like pretty early in my thing. I was just like, yeah, I want to understand this, especially I had started a company. And I was running the wine there. And I was like, I was based on education. Like me and Caitlin, obviously are very education driven with, I, I educated staff at NOPA. Like that was kind of my role was staff education. And so then I like had to take over this program and I didn't know, I was like, okay, I know about wine. I know all this shit, but I don't know how like cogs and kind of like talking about dogs and stars and all these things. And I was like, So I, I like changed my scholarship. I was supposed to be going to this other class and I was like, actually, can I drop out of that class and take this one? Cause it's more appropriate. But, and there were other Psalms in it as well, who were just like, okay, I need to diversify basically my portfolio and be able to make sure that I can do these other roles because these ones are diminishing. And like you were saying about how it's like, okay, these big Michelin stars Yeah, they're bringing back psalms, which is why you only see it happening in San Francisco. You see it happening in New York and L.A. because those restaurants already had that role of psalm. But even like most of the restaurants that I've been to didn't have that psalm role anyway. It was like, okay, you're a lead server or you're a manager who's a psalm. So the restaurants that did have psalms to start with are the only ones I feel like who are going to have that role or even have the capacity or the or the budget to have that role going forward anyway.
2: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's always been a very specific role, and you know, and and again, there's there's a group of psalms who, who add to the narrative that that wine is a little snobby and stuff like that, and there's a group that don't and and things like that. So, I think it I think it'll be really interesting to see how how things unfold moving forward and what people are willing to deal with. Like in the case of my friend who got put into that into that manager role really he was just like i didn't take this to babysit a bunch of kids like that's not why i got into this industry and um or at least went through the process of becoming a sommelier so you know i think there i think there is gonna be a little bit of that and you know we'll see as people come back like you know can some of those ones that are in those um you know sub manager spots do they just get out of it and be able just to focus on the wine as more people come into the fold you know, back into the restaurants, um, Chris. What do you got?
1: Yeah, I have a question. Really, I, I was curious uh, if I can ask the uh, Peanut Gallery here, um, and really anyone who wants to field this question. Can you make an argument? I'd say maybe to to a manager who might be hesitant, um, but who might be interested in the in the idea. Can you make an argument to a local mom and pop restaurant? Why why a specific floor sum? is a good idea.
0: Yes. I if you look at profit margins, where are the profit margins? They're in alcohol sales. So, you're going to make your biggest money back by having someone who can turn this table who is going to buy a $20 bottle of wine into a $100 bottle of wine. And if they can prove themselves that way, then they have proven their 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 payment on staff as not having to be a manager but being a song but still bringing value to the company so that's what i would say
2: yeah i think that's a that's a really great way to look at it and there was there was some um alluding to that in the uh in the article as well is that that's really where a lot of your margins are i mean and it's something that continuously blows my mind how many big time restaurateurs like don't give a shit about their beverage programs. It like it just like, and I know I've mentioned this before, but like, I really, really enjoy everything that David Chang puts out from his early shows to his cookbooks to now his, his podcast is on the regular listen for me. And listening to him and like getting into a point where he was like massively su- successful with Momofuku, but then it wasn't until like his fourth location that he was all, yeah, and then I figured out that if you had your cocktails and your wine program, like, you know, put together, like you can, you can really make some money. And I just was like, how the hell is this a thing? Like this blows my mind. So I think, I think Brett, you bring up a really excellent point where it's just, you know, these, we've, we've learned in this industry, especially over the past year and a half that these, these margins are so razor thin that if you can take someone and you can give them this really exceptional experience through beverages and take them on this journey because now I think as people go out, it's it's going to be a situation of, you know, you're, you're going to want a special experience. It needs to really stand out. It has to be an event. Alcohol is part of that event. Tasting something brand new that either pairs really well with your food or just like, or you just really enjoy the experience, enjoy the story behind it and the person that's telling it to you like, that's now part of the entire process. So if I'm being more selective about where I go out, whether that's because of, you know, just, there's just not a whole lot of places to go to anymore, or you just know that everyone's super understaffed. So you're like, Hey, if I'm going to go somewhere and wait an additional 45 minutes to an hour, which you know is happening at restaurants all over the United States right now, then I want to make sure at least I have a good fucking bottle of wine while I'm doing it. You know? Um, so I, I, so I do think that there's a tremendous amount of value and it really comes down to like, you know, who's the person that can take you from that $20 price point to the hundred and make it seem like they're getting the better deal out of the situation by making that choice, you know? Um, did you want to add to that?
0: Yeah. Um, just to like touch on like another reason why that, that role can make a difference. Restaurants that I've worked at have um, often said that the alcohol bill should be equal to the food bill. So you justify paying a chef, for this, and so why wouldn't you justify paying someone who can do that same thing, move you to this seamless role? And just for all you listeners out there as well, um, just to give you some some helpful hints when you're at a restaurant thinking about like, oh, should I go for this twenty-five dollar bottle of wine or this one hundred dollar bottle of wine? Your wines by the glass are marked up twice as much as your bottles are so you are getting a better deal by getting the bottle by getting that more expensive bottle than you are doing a buy the glass program just in value if I'm thinking if I'm at a restaurant and nobody wants to drink with me that's the only time I'll do the buy of the glass and I might just do a half (laughs) bottle but if like anyone will drink with me I'm like let's do a bottle we're not doing glasses because this is where the value
2: is okay Caitlin what do you got?
3: Yeah, I just want to add to kind of what you were saying, Drew, where in this world where the pandemic is slowly ending and we're starting to go back out, nothing is more infuriating to me as a person who's eaten at home for the last year, almost exclusively, than going to a place that's charging full price for everything, doing half the service, not doing a good job, not having the same things that you can get, not not providing the same experience and charging the same price. So I feel like the sommelier, and it doesn't matter I've had equally great experiences in places where there were not sommeliers, but I do think that having a sommelier really ups the ante as far as like the quality that you feel like you're receiving. So for me, it's, it's not, I'm selective about where I'm eating out these days and what experience I want. And I don't, I don't want the subpar experience that's very expensive anymore. So I'm, I'm less, I have less of a capacity to deal with those so I want I want the full experience if I can get it, which at the risk of sounding like a total asshole, but that's what I want. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I think I think you know we as as people go out. I mean, there's you you need to have the expectations and there's things to keep like in mind that hey, I'm these places are 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 operating, you know, at full capacity with a half capacity staff. So like you know, there's things that you're willing to let go, but there are things that it's still it's like you know it's your hard earned money as you're going out. Uh, Chris, what did you want to add to it?
1: Yeah, I, you, actually, you brought up a good point about about wait times, and I, I just thought of another another uh, value uh, value add that you could have a specific sommelier do if you if you happen to be running running a program or on on a restaurant, you could have your sommeliers almost specifically pay attention to the line that's uh, that's waiting at your door for for service. It does two things. Not only do you up people's bill. Uh, and you get them a bottle or something like that while they're like standing in line and waiting, which is dope. Also, it makes sure that they don't walk away. They don't get fed up and like run away because they have somebody who can like specifically serve them while they're waiting. they can hang out, they can have a dope bottle of wine that's like a great aperitif. So already you've hit that like forty to hundred and twenty dollar price point before someone's even sat down at their table what a great way to like just like up our profits right there
2: yeah no i think that's a great idea i mean for sure there's been a few situations where you walk where i've walked up like you know it's an hour and a half wait it's like whoa that's intense because i've eaten here before and it's like i don't know if it's an hour and a half worthy but if you give me a bottle of wine i'm like i can probably stretch this Um, okay. So I have, I, I have a question that we're, we're going to get away from, from this topic specifically, but it still has to do with wine and, and stuff. And, and as, as the one person on this, on this podcast that has without question the least amount of wine knowledge, um, with the exception of maybe Georgian wines, I might have you guys there, but that's just because that's, that's monetarily driven. Um, but outside of that, I I think you guys all know a lot more than me about wine. So I every time I go to a, I go to a, a nicer place, and I think I think you guys will have different perspectives on this. But we'll start with you, Britt. I'm looking at the wine list. I'm feeling overwhelmed, right? Because there's just there's there's a hundred different options on here, places, regions that I've never heard of before. I tend to lean on whoever's there right and lean on my server uh i couldn't tell you last time i talked to sommelier so definitely most of the time i lean on on the server uh but if there was a kind of safe bet or a safe pick like you know you're just kind of like hey if you stay in this price range or you stay in this region that pretty much everybody's always going to have are there any insider tips because when you brought up the 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 um you know by the by the glass price it was kind of was like, oh, I bet you got more insight So um... oh I have
0: so much insight. Um, <laughs> one, no wonder you have to rely on the server because clearly sommeliers don't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, two, I think that well the the like true like rule that I think a lot of people who don't know like wine stick to is they go, What's the cheapest? Okay, I'm going one up from the cheapest, so oh, that is like a tried and true rule. Everyone yes. does that. Yes,
2: I've, de- I've definitely done that. I don't want to be the cheapest person, but I'm not trying to drop a ton of but money. But I'll be
0: the un, like the next cheapest person. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Actually, so what I will give to this conversation, I'll let everybody else kind of give a little bit more. But I think Spain and Portugal are some of the best value wines out there. Like if you don't know what to get, those ones are really good and. One, Spain has aging requirements. So I have, I talk about this all the time on um, Import Taste. You should follow us. <laughs> um, but I talk about it all the time on Import Taste. I am notorious at not being able to age my wines to save my life. I'm like, there are people who are like, oh, I don't want to drink this bottle because the occasion's not special enough. I am not that person. I'm like okay, I've got no bottles. Let's go buy a whole new cellar of wines, which it, well, like my cellar is like two cases probably. But anyway, so I am like notorious at not being able to age my wines. So Spain um, has aging requirements um, that they build into their laws. So they will age wines for me. So you can, and then not only that, but Spain and specifically Portugal are very underrated at this point for very high quality wines um when Spain I'm gonna talk to Spain right now because we haven't really done our episode on Portugal that's when I really learn my wines a lot more is when we are like we do our well, episode, Caitlin Portuguese like let's write wine. that Lauren write it down
2: yeah what'd so you when say por- when Portuguese wine happens let me know we got a bunch of Portuguese wines uh, we'll get them out to you
0: okay well so Spain what happened is when Phylloxera came to France um, it decimated that industry, and so the people—not the the winemakers, but the um, the negociants, the people who bought wine or like bought grapes from that, bottled it and resold it, or the ones who were selling the wine—they were like, "Fuck, our whole industry's gone. We still need to make money." They went down to Spain, and they taught the Spanish people how to, and specifically Rioja is really what I'm thinking about right now, how to make wines in a quality similar to France. So now they have this experience and this practice of this fine winemaking, but at a lower price because they weren't known in the industry. And not only that, but then there's these aging requirements that are put in. So if you were at a restaurant and you're thinking, shit, I don't know what the fuck this wine list is saying. I think it's a safe bet to get a quality wine from Spain or Portugal. And I will stop there because I could probably talk all night on this subject. Uh,
2: okay. Chris, you are talking to a confused patron right now of a, of a really significant wine list. What, what are the tips that you're giving them?
1: I'm going to double down uh, on that Spanish wine tip. Um uh, and, and obviously mine comes from a different perspective of being a retail spot. Um, but as, as a decades long uh, restaurant uh, consultant and bar consultant, I will say specifically when you're looking at, at wine menus, um, just like when you look at like a corporate wine menu right or a corporate food menu, that thing that's right smack dab in the middle that's got a picture that's like highlighted, it's got a background color on it. That is the thing that they want everybody to buy because they make the most amount of money on it. doesn't mean that it's bad by any means, right? Like it could be totally delicious, could be the dopest thing on the menu. You don't know. But what you do know is if it's smack dab on the middle of the menu and it's highlighted, it's got like all these like arrows pointing to it in every different way. Like that's the thing that they make the most money on.
0: Or they're trying to move it. Or that is the other thing it. I will say. They're oh, like, they're um, okay, let's put this off our list. We like, we'll we'll highlight this yeah, one. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, same goes for the wine list. Like, specifically, everybody knows that the second most – the second least expensive wine is the one that moves the most, and that's the one that, that everyone gets, like, one of the best deals on, right? Like, that's the one that everybody uh, – I'll say any wine buyer worth their salt who actually knows what the fuck they're doing is paying attention to that specific, I almost said skew, which is a very retail driven term, but that specific item um, because that's that's the item that they need the most volume of. And that's what they buy the most volume of. Doesn't mean it's bad, doesn't mean it's good, just means it's like, it's what sells the most, right? So as, as someone who is like going into a restaurant let's say blind, if you don't know, like you can go into it and you'd be like, okay, what's the second most, exp- le- least cheap one. And you will be like, okay, well like this is what the most people have had. And if no one's really offended by it, okay, that's fine. But also it doesn't mean that it's like anywhere near the best or like the most exciting on the list. It just means it's the most
2: economical for the restaurant. Okay. so So we have some good answers so far. Caitlin, what can you, what can you add to this? Can you give us, can you give us that one bit of information that makes us go, that's what I'm doing right there every time?
3: Well, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, so I will say Britt Brit stole my region, which is Spain. I, and both of you guys did immediately. <laughs> I think of Spain and I think of economical wines, but I will tell you a few other ways that I evaluate a wine list. So first, when I look at a wine list, I always start with the sparkling wines to see what they have on there. And if they only have like Prosecco by the glass and really expen- expensive like Tadanger, I'm like by the bottle only. I'm like, nah, this is garbage. Like there's got there's so many things in between. And I hate when they only have like the super cheap stuff by the glass and super expensive stuff by the bottle. So that tells me, first of all, they don't have that adventurous of a wine list. So I might start looking at the beer list at that point personally, but if I'm sticking with wine, uh, I would secondly ask myself, what am I eating? So I can't pick a wine without deciding what I'm eating. And I would kind of think like, okay, what's going to go well with this wine? Ask somebody, like we already mentioned, if the Psalms aren't there, ask the server, like what do you love here? Because people who work there usually have such, have a good insight into what is actually worthwhile. They might try to sell you what they need to sell you, but they also might actually give you some good insights into things that you wouldn't have tried otherwise. And then let's see, there was something else I was gonna say. I mean, I, you can't go wrong with Spain. I also think that sometimes, even though it can be kind of pricey, I think Italy is really underrated as far as wine lists. Like I go into a lot of, Itali- like I went to an Italian place in San Diego, Not, I mean, it was years ago now, but it feels like it wasn't that long ago because of COVID. And their whole list was Italy and California wines, just those two. And in my mind, I was thinking, first of all, why would you ever go to an Italian restaurant and not get Italian wine? That just like blew my mind. Why would you get California? I generally skip California wines on every wine list. That's just my, I'm like, nope, don't have any room for those in any of my meals. So I think if Spain isn't an option or it's already been taken by my podcast hosts, I think Italy, while it may not be the most economical price wise, I still think people don't sell as much italian wine at a high cost as they do like french wines so i really think you can find some real like obscure italian indigenous varietals that people don't order that often that you're going to get a real gem when you order it so that might be kind of what i would do if i was looking at a wine list
2: yeah i think for i think for myself one of the one of my strategies has been um you know you you go in you figure out what you want to eat for food and then and then when i'm talking to whether it's a bar manager or, you know, whatever the, the point of contact here is like, okay, I want to spend between 75 to a hundred dollars. This is what I want to spend on a bottle of wine. I'm getting this for my meal. Wow. What should I get? And then I kind of, and then I get introduced to, to the most, most of the time. That's, I usually get something that's pretty, pretty solid. Um, but of course that's not. You better at that price point. Well, of course, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like you get into a kind of a can't miss at, at that price point, or at least I'd like to I'd like to think that. But I do like the I mean, especially because of my appreciation for sparkling and, and champagne has increased so significantly over the past year, like learning that, like, they're not just all garbage. Uh, like that's been a revelation for me. Uh, so I think I think that's a that's a really good tip. So we got Spain, Portugal, pretty safe bets. If you're willing to spend about $10 to $15 more, you're probably going to Italy. And then definitely consider what you're, what you're drinking. And then check out check out their smart list. Okay, uh, let's go back to Britt. What do you got?
0: Oh, great. I thought I was going to go Chris first. So, um,
2: Yeah, wild cards. We're going all over the place.
0: Um, well, the one other thing that I will kind of say as well, if you are out and you're thinking about, like you want to talk to your server... Um, or as a server give price points, like don't give, like give ranges, like, okay. Like given a few different ranges because, or think about a few different ranges, because I think that it's really unfair when it's like, like Caitlin was saying really low and really high. And so it's kind of like, as, as a wine professional, I'm always like, okay, like if they don't tell me their price point, I usually do ask like, what's your price point when you're thinking about what to get? But I'll do like, okay, the low end of their price point, kind of a mid range and that. And I also like to think as a wine professional, kind of like, okay, this is what it seems like you would like. And this is something that's tangential that will be interesting. And actually, Caitlin's friends came into Nopa and one of them was like, well, I only drink white wine and I only drink red wine. And the other one was like, I drink rose. And I'm like, okay, like, let's go with this light bodied red. And I, um sold them on like a um a Menthea from Spain because obviously you're going for that value. And um <laughs> then they were just like they I like one of the greatest things to me as like a wine professional, as a server, is when someone comes up to me and tells me how their experience with that wine changed kind of their dining experience. Like they were just like, Oh my gosh, we would have never gotten this wine without you telling us. Thank you. Thank you. I had another table one time. It was like, you know, the food was good. And I'm, this is when I worked at Leho Leho. They were like, the food was good, but that wine you recommended was better than the food. And I was just like, hey, like, I don't know. It just makes me like almost want to cry but there's something to be said about stepping outside. And like Caitlin said, listening to someone who is there, who kind of knows the wine list a little bit more is I think worth it.
2: Yeah, Chris, uh, why do you give us a final thought on this one? Yeah, I, I will say that uh, if you come
1: across a menu where you find a, a wine, especially if it's by the glass, uh, but also if it's by the bottle, but especially if it's by the glass, That is something that you cannot pronounce. I would, at very least, inquire about it, ask about it, because I can guarantee you that there that. Every, every, like, purchaser worth their salt is buying things that they know that's, like, is is friendly enough to their consuming public. But if they take a chance on something that is, like, unpronounceable, whether it's from Eastern Europe, whether it's from South America, or, like, literally anywhere. If you cannot pronounce it, if you have no idea what it means, ask about it. Because it's probably the one wine on the list that is fucking worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what the statistic was, but it said something about like how um, this one wine changed its name to something more pronounceable and how that really like changed its sales. And so you're like, okay, if a wine that you can't pronounce is still on a wine list, then they clearly are like, yeah, like if you can't pronounce it and it still has made it on that list there that like whoever made that list is confident that it can still sell even without you being able to pronounce it
3: buy that
2: shit you know who's dope them over there all right and now time for my favorite part of the show where we give you dope people dope podcasts dope books movies what ever to follow these these are in in the past some of our favorite people some of our favorite things and it's just it doesn't always industry related sometimes it's just some really some tomfoolery so it's completely wide open and of course we're getting a bonus dope follow today because we do have two guests as opposed to one um kaylin let's start with you who's your dope follow this week
3: Okay. Well, we've heard you do this before where you mention import taste underscore wine. That'd be my first dope follow, but I'm also being selfish about that. Um, But no, uh, mine is not an industry person and it's kind of off the wall and it's a little bit weird, but it's a woman and her name is Emily. And on Instagram, she is called (laughs) automatic bazooty and she is just so so cool she does skate videos roller skate videos Britt and i mostly Britt, but i've also just been living vicariously through her have gone into roller skating lately and this gal is like an artist freelancer we're like talking about doing some work with her but her skate videos are just so on point i just watch them for hours and she pairs them with such rad music so she'd be my dope follower right now automatic bazooty on instagram she's awesome So I bought one of her shirts recently and it's so great and I love wearing it. I almost wore it tonight. I should have actually, I forgot about that part, but yeah, that'd be my dope follow. It's not wine related, but I'm sick and tired of promoting wine people who are like not cool people. And this gal is a cool person outside of the wine world. So there you go. Automatic bazootie follow her.
2: I love how that's like (laughs) such a big part of our culture right now. It's just like, you know, we went into the pandemic and it was like, it was like uh, the the Tiger King shit in our, in our society was at an all-time low. And then now we're coming out of it with roller skating. And I just think that as a culture, things have gotten better and it just shows you what was important at the bookends of this, of this shutdown. Um, it's an
3: improvement for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not to say that Tiger King is not insanely entertaining, but I'm much more pro roller skating uh okay yeah Brit, so who's bad. who's your don't follow this week
0: it was so funny so I have been roller skating and Caitlin is on the hunt for some roller skates so um when you were like oh it doesn't have to be industry related I'm like oh my god I want to promote that woman then and I was like looking it up and then Caitlin said I'm like oh perfect great I don't need to promote her then <laughs> so she already got it because yeah her roller skating videos are on point um and I follow her for all my tips and tricks. <laughs> Um, but actually, my friend um, started this project. He was actually on our show, and it was really wonderful, called the Two Eighty Project. And he is doing an urban farm in San Francisco, and it's like, kind of like the very first like ur- urban vineyard in San Francisco. And so a lot of people make wine out of San Francisco, but he's the only one who grows wine. And um, he is getting mentorship right now from Steve Mathiasen. Um, who makes fucking awesome wines, and so especially with you know kind of like the spotlight with the quartermaster psalms and everything, where there's they're like looking at okay, there's not enough diversity in this industry. He is a black man. His name is Chris Renfro. He's fucking awesome. Me and him used to work together at Leho Leho, um, but he started this um vineyard in well, it's like a community fa- farm called Alamany farm. And so he has like the vineyard section of it. And so it's his very first season, um, kind of producing wine from it. And now that he's getting like mentorship from Steve Mathiason and Steve Mathiason's really doing an initiative to bring in BIPOC, um, people like, he's like, okay, like, I think a lot of industry, like a lot of people in the industry are like, okay, we need to like make sure that BIPOC is really specifically in wine making is becoming a part. And so, um, I'm really excited to see what he makes, and we had a great time with him on our show. He's my dope follow, the 280 Project, out of San Francisco. His name's Chris Renfro. He's fucking awesome.
2: Be really interesting. I mean, and this is going to be kind of a shitty comment, but it's like, boy, when I think of the terroir of San Francisco and (laughs) some of the horrible things I've seen in that city, I just... Wonder what's going to translate like? Oh my <laughs> God!
0: Yes, especially so. Uh, Leho Leho is in the tenderloin. Not that oh, okay. that's where the vineyard is, but I know all about the horrible terroir of San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. the the drugs and the poop of yeah. that build up the ecosystem that is San Francisco.
2: <laughs> yeah, it just is. Just like ah, yes, this does have yeah. that concrete piss taste profile. That, but not in a bad way. You know, like
0: <laughs> only the, the the best way possible.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it, it is that you get um, that get that crack minerality. Uh, oh, just <laughs> it's it's the best. Um, Chris, who's your dope follow? Mine's a TikTok. Oh, God. I haven't done a TikTok yet, but I have okay.
1: divin. I have I have divin, dove, diving. I don't know what the verb is. I wait, I, really sp-
0: quick. I have seen the good bottle. Um, thing does have a TikTok and I've seen your TikTok. So you have done, oh, you haven't done a TikTok oh, as a thing. No, done I have done many.
1: And if you don't follow the good bottle on TikTok, you're wasting your life. It's like you have no, you have no joy in your life and we don't love you anyway. Uh, but on TikTok, I have come across very recently. I don't know how it came across my page, but I am so grateful that it did. It is growing up Italian. And it is a brother and sister uh, who pretty much just like clown their mom the entire time, but it is one hundred percent like my family growing up in New Jersey, like everything about it, like from from like pranking their mom to like taking her to taking her to Olive Garden for her birthday and her like losing her fucking mind to talking about like not having friends who care enough about you. like uh, the whole thing is just hilarious. It makes me so happy. I showed it to Jen and she was like, I don't get it and I'm like crying laughing. I I love it. It speaks to my soul and to like my upbringing. I think it's fucking fantastic. I think if like you grow up in like any sort of we'll say ethnic household, you will appreciate what this brings.
2: So I've out, been on really on way.
0: a Sopranos kick a lot lately. So I feel like I know you a lot more now, Chris, than I did before.
2: <laughs> I did watch the Godfather oh. like a week and a half ago and I made, I made pasta tonight. So I feel you bro. I totally get the Italian experience.
3: <laughs> Bet you my, never uh, heard that before. My <laughs>
2: daughter's
1: name is Carmella. And, uh, uh, the reason my, my, My wife agreed to it. It's my grandmother's name. My grandmother is the woman who I I most consider, like, who raised me.
0: Okay, so you didn't name it after the show.
1: But my wife loves Sopranos, and she was like, I didn't know your grandmother's name was Carmella. Let's do it. (laughs) So, there we go.
0: I'm like, okay, I am pushing through the end because I have been on a binge because I recently put in my notice, and I'm just like, I need to finish it. Like I need to get my life back because it is taking over my life. Watching The Sopranos right now, but I love it.
2: <laughs> that's so great. Hey, Drew, what's your follow? Is, I was just say Mela is money. That's all that anybody needs to know about Carmela. I've I've got a T-shirt. You got a T-shirt that says <laughs> it. Um, that I got for him. So that's why I want to put that. It was a plug for me as a good friend. Um, so. So, so my my don't follow is 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 actually an Instagram account that has blown up over the past week, and not for a good reason. But I do think it's for a reason that uh, that people need to be aware of, and it's uh, uh, Brian Allen's Instagram, and she is uh, at Rat Magnet. And uh, it's I, mean, I don't I don't know how she came up with that Instagram name, but about a week and a half ago, she went on to Instagram and basically just was like, "I'm sick and tired of sexual harassment in the brewery world," and shared her stories with uh, her experiences and stuff. And and part of it was brought on by the fact that she had been able to escape it because. The breweries have been shut down for a year. And then she was like, by the time I was back on my second day and I had my third incident, I just was over it. What that ended up doing was it opened up the floodgates for thousands. It looks like at this point of women, just sharing similar stories with her. And and i've been talking with a few a few of our few of our friends over the past couple of days and you know they were talking about bringing it up on the podcast and and doing a show about it and you know i think i think the last people that need to be talking about sexual harassment in a brewery is two white guys so um, you know we're i we're, we're working on something to kind of give somebody else a forum that i think can speak better to it and but she's one of them. And she's she's given a voice to a lot of different people have had pretty horrible experiences. And I think the real unfortunate thing is that, you know, it's it's starting or I mean, this has been an ongoing thing kind of over the past year, but it's like it's really blown up in the brewery industry right now. And it's going to continue to, to hit other industries like I already know of certain groups that are going to be getting a lot of heat in the next couple weeks for other stories that are about to come out because it's just put this spotlight on, on the situation. And, you know, of course we, uh, you know, with the good bottle always want to encourage all of our, all of our friends and colleagues and stuff. If there's, you know, there's always a safe space with us. You can always share with us, like we're going to support you and we're going to, um, be there for you. But, but this is, you know, I really, really respect Brienne for, for everything that she's done because she didn't sign up to be this, this, Platform, you know, a week and a half ago she had 2,000 followers. Now she has 19,000, and she has over 99 requests of private messages of people wanting to share their story with her. So um, it's not an easy read to to read through some of the experiences, um, but I do think it's something that as we continue to grow in this industry, that we need to expose ourselves to and have those conversations and let people know. It's like, no, don't be afraid to say these things. You're you're not going to lose your position in this industry by speaking out against shitty people. So, um, you know, that's just, so that's why I don't follow. She's really doing some amazing stuff. I know she's super overwhelmed right now because she said that, but she's doing her best to keep up and and things like that. So if you haven't, if you haven't heard about all those things, um, vine also did an article on it today, uh, where they were able to collect a lot of stories and they talked to her as well. And it was, It was really well done and again and and unfortunately i do think it's the tip of the iceberg for the industry right now i think it's just going to get really really bad not not in the sense of like oh there's gonna be all these you know people complaining like but these they're they're heavy stories and you and you hate to think that it's happening in your industry but it's definitely happening in our industry and i think like most things our industry is just sick of all the bullshit right now so um chris you have your hand raised what do you got Yeah, man. I, you know,
1: I coming from the cocktail world specifically um, and that's what I'm going to speak to right now. I was always blown away by like this, this industry that specifically um, is sort of codified as as being more, more uh, compassionate than others. But it's just like rife with chauvinism, Uh, like top to bottom. It's just gross. Um, And it's always blown me away. And I, I never really had a stomach for it, nor did I really understand it. I mean, I understand it in a way that, like, chauvinism... Chauvinists have to chauvinize, right? Like, it doesn't matter what industry they're in. They will just always do what they fucking do. Um, But I... I get blown away within this industry, because we have so many people who are legitimately compassionate. But we end up in this world where um you know like people people uh, um who speak out who try to support who try to like be like no this shit's fucked up right here get called snobs more often than not right like they get called like um uh, social justice warriors and shit like that even though there's a lot of fucked up shit in this world i and it's sad because uh, i I've come to the same point that you have, Drew, which is like we're two white guys, straight white guys. We're both married, you know. We got, we both have, we both have kids, but that doesn't mean that we don't give a shit. Um, and I think our job is to just find the people who have a voice and give them that voice and amplify it because, for us, we we get we get looked down on down on? That's not the right thing. We get, we get, like, shoved to the side as having invalid voices because uh, we are not the one who is being, uh, being shit on. Uh, and and we are the face of the oppressor, which are both accurate points. And I think that you and I uh, have done a, at least a semi-decent job for someone of a slap on the back of, like, trying to find people who have those stories um, and trying to amplify those stories. And, and it's, it's definitely a passion of mine to like try to find more of them because I'm so sick and tired of this shit within this industry that I'm just absolutely in love with that like has defined my entire life, my entire existence. Um, and all I want to do is just sit back with a bag of popcorn and go, yeah, get them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I mean, I, I, I think there's, there's obviously a a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done. And, and again, that's why we don't, we just want to sit back. So for our listeners at home, if there, if there are things that you want to share, you want to be part of this conversation, um, you know, let us know and, and reach out because it's not an easy one and we just want to have the right, the right people talking about it and telling their story. And then let's work towards something uh, more positive. Uh, Caitlin, any of your hand raised right now? What do you, what are you thinking?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to add to that. And first of all, just say, like, thanks for bringing that up and thanks for caring. Uh, I noticed that you didn't ask us about those questions. And we probably would have taken the whole podcast to tell you stories of our own sexual harassment. So it's probably a smart move. But also, I feel very silly now for talking about roller skating when we're talking about sexual harassment. Well, I,
2: I mean, no, don't, and, and, and please don't. I mean, that's not that's not the thing. And it's not always like a, a note that we want to. um that we we're not trying to end things like on a somber (laughs) thing i think i think you know part of the dope follows is is getting exposed to things that are not just fucking horrible in this world you know like i said go i
3: love it though yeah
2: like going going through her her instagram saying her instagram stories i mean it's just like it's just one after another after another after another and you just and i was talking with one of our with one of our friends earlier about it and she was just saying she's like she's like i just really hope like we don't have that going on in Sacramento. And it's like, it's like, I love you to death. Like it's definitely happening here. Like, it's just, we're not immune to this. And so, um, and the only reason that I didn't, I didn't bring it up with with you two is because we'd already established what we were going to talk about. And that's also, that's also kind of like a, be like a, Hey guys, like, you know how we've kind of talked on Facebook a few times and, and things like that. We've kind of uh-huh. ran into each other over the years. It's just kind of like, now let's talk about this really difficult issue and just like get this out <laughs> into the open. So, you know, that's, no. like I said, it's, it's, it's something that we want to, I just wanted to acknowledge because it's very relevant, it's, it's relevant and it's going to continue to be relevant. And so, um, you know, as the kind of the tone of the show, it's like, it's like, oh, we're trying to talk about what's going on in the industry right now. That's what's going on. So
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like all that this does is just move us to a better place of more equality and everything, like to create space for others. So I'm I'm happy, even though it's like shitty fucking stories that come out, I'm just every time I'm so glad, I'm like, good. Now there's light shown on it. So now hopefully change can be made from it. So that's what I think. And also speaking of um Instagram just allowed like pronouns to be added. Which everyone who's listening, add your fucking pronouns. It's not about you. It's about people who um, maybe don't feel comfortable being addressed in a different way. And so when you make it, when you normalize something, it normalizes it for people who are on the margins. And so that's even like what this story is. It's like, hey, this is what's happening. Let's change it so that we can then like have a better space for everyone to have space in. So. absolutely put your put your pronouns in
2: put your pronouns in put your roller skates on and get out there and experience some life with some good wine um that's all i got i think i'm good let's get out of here let's wrap it up chris it's
3: a little late for that
1: The music for the Good Bottle podcast is orchestrated by the Moore Brothers and produced awkwardly by us two guys. Before we go and kill these bottles, actually, I already did. Sorry. Uh, That we are drinking. We ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. Click that little button, that little one. You know exactly where it is. Leave us a five-star review. I know uh, you might not want to,
2: but it helps us out a lot.
1: Uh, So thanks.
2: At the hour 35 mark, I think all of us have emptied our bottles at this point. Um, but uh, you know, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts, which mine is DGarrison6. Chris is Chris Sin Sinflair. Britt, Kate, what are your guys' Instagram handles? How can people follow you? How can they find you? Hit us with those.
0: Follows at in poor taste, and it is P-O-U-R. Um, in poor taste underscore wine. That is where you can see all of our awesome content. We do a Facebook live and a YouTube live once a week on Thursdays. If you want to follow me personally, it is Brit it and Quit It. There are periods in between each word. So try to remember that. And Caitlin, what's your personal one?
3: My personal one is Kate K-A-I-T-N as in Noelle, which is my middle name. Don't steal my identity, everyone. <laughs> B as in Brooks, and that's it. Kate NB. But follow us at Import Taste. You can find all the- That's where we and-
0: want it. Follow us at Import Taste.
2: Go to Import Taste, everybody, watch it. It's 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 great. Um, Do it. You can also you can also support the podcast and our desire to buy all of the Spanish wine that we can afford by checking out anchor.fm slash good podcast.
1: If you would like for us to cover a story or if you're working with a brand that wants to be uh, featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com.
2: And as a reminder, you can buy buy some of the bottles that we drank tonight on tonight's episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And then also go to our Etsy and look up Good Bottle Shop. Buy some of our swag. There's T-shirts. There's a coffee mug. There's a sweatshirt. There's a dope fanny pack. You can talk to former guest Seth Marquez about it. He loved it. There's a secret message in it. I'm still not going to tell you what it is. You got to buy it to find out. But um, Fanny packs
0: are perfect for roller skating.
2: <laughs> so get your roller skates and get your fanny pack at, at our at our Etsy uh, Good Bottle Shop. Um, but until next time, Chris. Cheers. Cheers, homie. Love you guys. Thank you for an thank, amazing thank episode. You. Thank you, Lauren, for being the one in the back. We appreciate you. (laughs) Get it, Lauren. You deserve it.